Welcome to Off The Fence, I'm James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. It's the final straight now of the GE 2019, the general election. Boris Johnson heading up the Conservative Party and Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the Labour Party, the two main figureheads of the two main parties. It's kind of the big time now for the Labour Party to hit that ground game. So we're going to be talking about that on today's show. We're also going to be talking about uh, NHS truthers, because that's become a thing. Yeah, yeah, they, they... It's astonishing what people have told themselves to avoid basic realities this election. Tory fake ads. Uh, We're going to be talking about the government selling off NHS data to American pharmaceutical companies, because that's already happened. Uh, And Amazon as well, just giving it away to them for free. Um, We're going to be talking about polling, the MRP data that came out last night that is actually shows a very good trajectory for the Labour Party in terms of stopping a Tory majority. It shows that they might be able to make massive moves with the huge amount of undecided voters over the next 48 hours or whenever you're listening to this podcast until polls close. Right, let's get into it. There's been a study put out by First Draft, who I think are a non-for-profit, But anyway, they looked at every paid-for Facebook ad from the three main UK-wide parties run over the first four days of December. Uh, What did they find? They found for the Conservatives, it said that 88%, which turned out to be nearly 6,000 ads, of the party's most widely promoted ads either featured claims which had been flagged by independent fact-checking organisations as not correct or not entirely correct. What a surprise. The Tories are lying to you. I mean, the Tories are mostly lying to you. The Tories managed to come up with 12% of things that they have to say about themselves that are true unambiguously. The other parties? Some people might respond to that story with, ah, you know, they're all lying, really, all the politicians lie. It's almost like the BBC website might specifically frame things in those terms. It did, and the story that we're talking about is taken from the copy they wrote for that kind of did do that a little bit. Yeah, um, certainly it hid these results really far down into the into the story. The other parties, anyway, because you might be thinking, oh, well, they all lie. For the Lib Dems, it said hundreds of potentially misleading ads had featured identical unlabeled graphs with no indication of the source data to claim it was the only party that could beat either Labour, the Conservatives or the SNP, quote, in seats like yours. So that's pretty misleading as well. Um, Certainly they're not hitting the 88% the Conservatives had of misleading or um, just false claims. No, but it's, it's clearly, for them, statistics is more an art than a science. What about Labour? Zero percent. I mean, that would seem to suggest that not a single lie. Over these th- uh, four days that they were taking the claims from, no misleading claims. Hmm. Intriguing, that. It also relates this story to the dark ads that Tories have been putting out. There's been pages on Facebook, like Parents' Choice, a kind of uh, Parents' Choice was one for parents apparently to be have the choice to send their kids to private school or things like that. Obviously, the Labour Party and their manifesto uh, are going to be taking away the charitable status from private schools, saying that they should be paying VAT, like all other products. There's other pages uh, similar with kind of very vague, very anti-Corbyn, very anti-Labour messaging they're putting out. And when it's been looked behind them, they're all linked to the Conservative Party. Hmm. There's nothing explicit about them that's saying Conservative Party, but they all link back to Conservative Party staffers. Is that legal? It's running on the edge. Okay. If it's if it is legal, it's very running on the edge. It, I mean, I don't think it should be, because it's very obviously people that are linked to the Conservative Party. Yeah, it's clearly an astroturfing campaign. Yeah, 
That's what some people have called it. Um, hundreds of thousands of pounds being put into that from the amount that's been popping up. I've seen more ads from those than from the Conservative Party anywhere. Anyway, more fake stories, more conspiracies. I'm sure people have heard about the sick four-year-old boy with suspected pneumonia who had to sleep on the floor in uh, Leeds General Infirmary. This was seized upon by tin foil hat wearing nutters. Well, first of all, it was seized on by the Mirror newspaper who got confirmation from the hospital that this did actually happen. And the Yorkshire Post as well. Yeah. So, first of all, it, it should be said up front. This was a thing that genuinely happened. It, it happened for the reasons they said it happened. The hospital have already admitted to it and apologised for it. Yeah. So, those people out there who couldn't accept that a story like this would exist legitimately and would be a concern for voters and um, have tried to dismiss it by by brand, brand, branding it as fake news. Alison Pearson of The Telegraph, she should fundamentally lose her job. Yeah, from for just... I mean, she's isn't she also, like, a pretty heavy anti-vaxxer? So she does have a record of at least entertaining, like, conspiracy theories. Obviously, there's complete nutters on Twitter who believe all this stuff. Some of them happen to be journalists, like the ones we just mentioned. Um, but there's also some other nutters on Twitter that maybe deserve a little bit more scrutiny when they support fake conspiracy theories like this, such as Conservative MP candidates, such as Michael Fabrican, and about three or four others that all retweeted this story and gave it credence. Like he was, he was very melodramatic with it. He just wrote in all caps, "Is this true?" Or something well, to be honest, yeah, he time. did. Others just retweeted it as, as yeah. fact, you know. Yeah, and what was even weirder was a lot of people just re reposted it verbatim because I guess they figured that like, oh, we'll do a culture jamming. That will be fun. Yeah. Uh, we also have another story on the Labour Party. The Labour Party are greener than the Greens. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth analysed all the party's manifestos and gave Labour a score of 33, Greens 31, Lib Dems 30, and the Conservatives 5.5. Womp womp. Uh, so, outright contempt for the environment, effectively. Yeah. I think there's only two pages in the Conservative manifesto that are dedicated to <coughs> the climate crisis, whereas in the Lib Dems, the Greens and Labour's, there's you know several to a dozen. And, of course, that Conservative manifesto written by a fracking lobbyist. No surprise there. Yeah, no, we know who they're working for. We know what's we know what's up. One key climate policy area is aviation, and Labour, similar to the Lib Dems, has now announced plans for a levy on people who take frequent flights. Um, of course, this is the week or the past couple of days where we saw Boris Johnson, rather than take a 45-minute train ride, he took a 28-minute plane journey. So, frequent flyers, unnecessary flyers, We've literally got the Prime Minister as one from the yeah. Conservative Party, a good example and there. At a time where the, the planet is like dying imminently, just the contempt for the environment here really is astonishing and shameful. What also this highlights is the radical plan the Labour Party have for dealing with the cri climate crisis. The Green Industrial Revolution, or the Green New Deal as some others like to call it, as pushed for by Labour activists over the past year. Now. It kind of gives credence to the idea that why would you vote Green in this election? Unless, of course, Caroline Lucas might be your MP. Maybe you want to support her. But why would you vote Green? I mean, if, if it's on climate crisis grounds, look at the Labour platform. I mean, maybe, maybe you want an NHS that properly supports the, the noble science of aromatherapy. But of course, the Labour Party have a position where they could get this 
incredibly radical plan to deal with the climate crisis into a government that can implement it, the Greens obviously can't. And then there's also the fact that if you're voting on Brexit grounds for the Greens, you know, the Labour Party are offering a second referendum with a chance to remain, the Greens will not get into government. And really the only MP, the Green MP at the moment is Carolyn Lucas, she's the only one who's going to win her seat uh, for the Greens. Moving on, uh, if you didn't think the NHS was under threat under the Conservatives, well, if you thought, well, if they, if, if they haven't, if they were going to sell off the NHS, why haven't they done it over, already over the past nine years? Well, they have. Yeah. The last nine years, the Andrew Lansley Act in 2011, uh, the Health and Social Care Act, I think that's what it was called, I can't remember. It started a, a vast amount of privatisation contracts. Um, we've seen this story as well, um, which relates to the unredacted documents that Co- Jeremy Corbyn revealed in this election, showing that pharmaceutical companies and drug patents would be open to the to the US. Um, the US pharmaceutical companies would have access to the drug patents to have longer drug patents, and drug prices could go up in the event of a post-Brexit Trump trade deal. Uh, in the Times on Sunday, we had Amazon had been handed the keys to a trove of NHS data it can use to develop products to sell internationally without paying a penny to the UK. This was revealed under a Freedom of Information request. And of course, Amazon being an $863 billion company um, has been given access to all healthcare information gathered by the NHS at the UK taxpayer's expense. It also gets all related copyrightable content and data and other materials symptoms causes and definitions it excludes patient data amazon can use the information to make advertise and sell new products applications cloud-based services and or distributed software and can share it with third parties the nhs will not benefit if amazon creates a lucrative new health app a commercial lawyer who analyzed the contract said the most alarming thing is that amazon isn't paying anything for this and the data is very valuable The NHS is one of the leaders in the world in collecting the data, so it's incredible, really, that it's not charging for it. It's funny that how the Conservatives would just give things away to the private sector from the public sector. I mean, you'd expect them to be selling it off somewhat, but sometimes they they just go so far, they just give it away, you know? Um, We also have this in The Observer on the same day, and data about millions of NHS patients has been sold to US and other international pharmaceutical companies for research, raising new fears about America's growing ambitions to access lucrative parts of the health service after Brexit. US drug giants including Merck, Bristol, Myers Squibb and Eli Lilly have paid the Department of Health and Social Care, which holds data derived from GP surgeries, for licenses costing up to £330,000 each in return for anonymised data to be used for research. So, you know, in case you really thought the NHS was safe in Conservative hands uh, under Boris Johnson, much as they say, oh, we're going to put more nurses in, we're going to do this, the fact that they've written books dating back to Thatcher saying they want to privatise the NHS yeah. by stealth, not in one like big sell-off amorphous blob. The fact that... Uh, Boris himself has specifically displayed contempt for the NHS in any of his, you know, glib, shit-headed columns. We're not supposed to count that against him, apparently. Boris Johnson hid in a fridge. You'll love to see it, folks. This is this came after yesterday's MRP result, which shows a pretty unfavourable trajectory for the Conservatives. And so, um, yeah, no, when he was confronted uh, just this morning... Good Morning Britain and prompted for an interview, which I believe he said he would do. 
uh, like he, he this is this is I think the third or fourth uh, interview or debate he said he would attend but then didn't because it turns out people like him the less they see him especially by comparison to Corbin um, so yeah after uh, basically uh, after one of his press after his pre- press secretary press secretary I think Rob uh, Oxley I can't remember yeah. his I remember Callum Callum Cannon who's on our show a few weeks ago um, he's ex kind of Deliveroo and stuff like that um, his name's Rob Oxley I can't remember his actual um, position I think he's press secretary he might not sure. be sure after him like openly cursing on morning television uh, yeah Boris Johnson immediately went and hid away in a fridge now according to the Johnson campaign uh, he was simply uh, uh, he was categorically not hiding in the fridge according to Jim Waterson uh, from which he, Johnson emerged carrying a crate of milk bottles. Instead, his aides were taking a moment to prep him for a separate interview he definitely was doing. So it wasn't actually fleeing into a milk truck. It was a strategic uh, strategic retreat. <laughs> oh my god. Let's get on to the actual situation. Where the polls lie, where the general election lies, where the parties are at going into the last 48 hours, the last day or so. It's close. Things are closer than people thought they were in terms of denying Boris Johnson a majority. The YouGov MRP polling that came out uh, on Tuesday night showed the Tory majority slashed from 68, where it was two weeks ago, to 28, dropping 40. And it's worth mentioning that that's on the back of a vote estimate of about 34%, which seems like imminently For the Labour Party. Yeah. Uh, for the la- uh, 34% for the Labour Party, which seems eminently movable, especially with regards to the sort of already uh, largely pole-beating ground game that we saw in 2017, which hopefully is roughly as organised as it was then. Yeah, it, w- it would surprise me if Labour don't outperform the polls. Um, usually a kind of uh, a campaign that brings in non-voters and uh, brings people in usually outperforms the polls to some degree, or just the fact that the ground game normally means that turnout can be increased to an extent where people don't expect and obviously we've also got to take into account the new young voters that are registered and now a third of those will likely be duplicates but the point is that a million more did it than in 2017 so it's up net so you're going to see more people in in that regard Um, but it also shows Labour doing really well in the south already and this pointed out in particular the seat of Canterbury where Labour gave a shock victory two years ago, overturned 10,000 votes in Canterbury, a seat that's never been held by Labour, and took the seat by, you know, a tiny margin, 30 votes or something like that. It was it was a very close one. There were 10,000 votes behind it. It was considered a safe seat. They whacked forward and just managed to beat the Conservatives there. Now, it shows Labour holding Canterbury by, you know, a considerable margin. Not, not just beating the Conservatives again. Um, so... The situation we're seeing is the Labour Party potentially could lose seats in the North, but they are all so close. They are very much on a knife edge. It could be a situation where the Labour Party managed to hold on to many seats in the North if they they managed to really push well. A 3% shift uh, over where the polling is really, really potentially makes those seats much safer. Now, the problem, of course is that these aren't people shifting to the Conservatives, certainly not in any way that suggests a sort of uh, you know, long-term issue. These are people shifting to the Brexit Party, and God knows what's going to happen to the Brexit Party after whatever happens with Brexit happens. 
but there's also, yeah, there's not a huge amount of evidence to suggest that this is a, you know, a meaningfully long-term uh, issue. Uh, unlike, for instance, uh, the climate crisis, which will be long-term and will yeah. not hold up for the next election. Yeah. So the Labour Party, like you said, there, there's a very, there's about 60 to 80 seats that are on a knife edge, and the Labour Party could take, or the Conservatives could take. Um, but the point is, you know, this next 48 hours, if you want to see the Labour Party push forward, you've got to get out there and make it happen. And um, it's all about that ground game. Go on to mypollingday.com and they can they can find where to go on polling day to help with get out of the vote efforts where you increase turnout in a particular constituency. And that's very much how Labour win in terms of increasing turnout, uh, increasing that Labour vote coming out. It's what happened in 2017. And to be honest, their strategy for this election is better than it was in 2017. Yeah, the the thing that Labour has is a massively activated uh, like activist base. That's the that's the main asset that they have because God knows they don't have say friendly relations with the press or uh, huge amounts of money from billionaires. They have people. They have people who want what they're offering and are willing to go out and fight for it. And, you know, that's the thing that will make the difference, if anything can make the difference. And if you listen to this podcast, you're probably already getting involved. Get someone else involved. Text a friend, bring them along. You don't need to be a political genius to do polling day, get out of the vote. You've just got to be able to know how to knock on the door and ask, have you voted yet? Um, there was a poll on Monday night from ICM, which showed Labour at 36%. Um, the Salvation one over the weekend showed a much wider margin for the Conservative lead. Um, but, but ICM uh, having Labour on 36 um, six points behind the Labour Party. Um, but there's a few of the final polls that have come in, really. I don't think... We'll probably get a bunch more tonight. Most of the pollsters do a final eve of poll poll. But in terms of predictions, for the Conservative vote, I would also be very surprised if they outperform 42-43. I think yes. it's very solid that they've hit their ceiling on 42 and 43. I don't really see them getting more than that. Um, it would surprise me anyway if they did. I'd also be extremely surprised by that. My prediction is it's probably going to be, I'm going to say, something in the region of 37 Labour, 41 Conservatives. Okay. That's that's where I'm putting my pin. I'd probably go with you on that. Now, in the last election, we kind of taken in by a very pessimistic outlook. And we were like, yeah, it's probably going to be a Tory majority of, you know, 30 to 50. Yeah. And that got blown apart within minutes. And I was like, God damn it, I knew it. I knew it. I knew I should have trusted my gut and not listened to the kind of intense like media bombardment of you've got no chance, you've got no chance, the left can't win. But as we know, the left won 40% of the vote, uh, or at least a left-led, Corbyn-led Labour Party won 40% of the vote in 2017. Um, so we know it can be done. Yeah. And, and obviously people are pushing for that once again. In terms of seats, in terms of the majority, I imagine it's hung parliament is easily possible but also a Tory majority is still on the cards, a slim one anyway. So it's tight. The only way you're going to decide how it's going to happen is if people get out there. So that's it. That's that's the news. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the last of it. We're fucking staring into the void now, friends. <laughs> if you've liked this episode of Off The Fence, of course, we're on SoundCloud. You might be listening on there already. If you are and you haven't done this, hit follow. You'll get mo- notifications every time we upload. We're also on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the lot. Uh, It's all up on there. So thanks for listening. I've been James Fox. 
I'm Alex Maskell. Cheers.